The West Coast is the gateway to North America, and the Port of Long Beach is one of the largest and busiest ports. Noelle from the Port of Long Beach joined me in my last episode to talk about how they are moving into the future and helping the economy. You are not going to want to miss that interview, so make sure that you go to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 54. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. First, a word from our sponsor, Border Buddy. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has created a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce shopping cart, like Shopify, Magento, eBay, and others, allowing you ease and peace of mind when selling to customers in North America. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from your door to theirs in real time. We're the first API-based custom solution. Just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com forward slash let's talk supply chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. It has been an exciting month. TPM and ISM were amazing conferences. My first video series on my YouTube channel called the SC will be released anytime soon. So make sure that you are subscribed to that on YouTube. It's called the SC Supply Chain TV. So that once my first video series is out, you will know about it and you'll be able to watch that. Plus, Plus, there's so much more to come. So stay tuned because I am still releasing my Woman in Supply Chain blog series. That should be this coming Thursday. And I am working on some super, super exciting projects that I cannot wait to let you know about. Thank you to everyone who tunes in, comments, and supports the show. Today, we are getting down and dirty about the cost of customer experience. But before we take that plunge, let's get into Listener's Corner. So I don't know if it was the excitement of coming back from TPM. But I totally mixed up the listener's corner questions. Um, and so this week, it's going to be the one about diversity. And next week, we're going to talk about the natural disasters one. So just in case you're a little confused as to why I am doing one before the other. So this week's question comes from what do you want to see included in the conversations around diversity and inclusion? What matters to you? Thank you to Katie from Houston for sending that in. We got a lot of great answers on the Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn page, my personal LinkedIn page, plus an email. Julie Shum, an email. She sent it to me. Uh, she sent me her comment. My comment to this week's question about diversity and inclusion would be for us to focus on diversifying our talent, creativity, innovation, and overall thought process. In one of Sapna's interviews on her podcast, and that's the Can Innovate podcast, if you haven't 
gone to listen to that one. Make sure to go and listen to it. A guest mentioned such a great point around diversity. We can focus on diversifying based on race and gender as much as we want, but if we have a full spectrum of representation based only on gender and race and everyone thinks alike, there really isn't any diversity. Not sure what everybody thinks about that one. It's a good point on one hand. So also in my personal LinkedIn, Angie Reno, I would like to see simple, actionable solutions that do not require corporate strategic sign-off. AJ Bird says, great question, Sarah. What matters to me is having a dedicated contact that seriously values the importance of following up. As an Indigenous entrepreneur, I often read, see, meet, hear... Uh, contacts that talk the talk about inclusion and diversity, yet there needs to be a follow-up and circling back to build an effective relationship for both parties. Over on Let's Talk Supply Chain LinkedIn, Dicey Man says, action items. There are lots of conversations, but they never conclude with a plan and act accountable parties to make sure that it is achieved. And we have Kasha Rowe, cross-functional ownership. Tatjana said, yes, fewer buzzwords, more leader lean-in. And Clarcia Christie says, how can companies really plan for diversity and inclusion in their operations and leadership roles? So much more from these listeners. Go and check that out at Listener's Corner on letstalksupplychain.com. Remember to send me in your questions to listener at letstalksupplychain.com and weigh in on the conversation every single Wednesday on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. So on today's show, Jonathan Briggs, Director of E-Commerce Fulfillment Solutions at DHL, is joining me to talk about the cost of customer experience and how we value the cost to ship versus the cost to serve as... He titled in his recent post in October 2018. It caught my eye because I believe everyone is asking these questions in one form or another. And I wanted to bring it to my listeners. So let's get to know a little bit about Jonathan first before we welcome him to the show. Jonathan Briggs joined DHL e-commerce in 2013 and has worked with many iconic brands across the fashion, apparel, footwear, health and beauty and nutrition nutraceutical industries. He is an expert in all things small parcel and direct-to-consumer fulfillment, having having worked in the small parcel industry since 1998 with UPS, DHL Express, and FedEx prior to joining DHL e-commerce. In his current role, he is focused on and passionate about helping customers design winning e-commerce fulfillment and parcel solutions, helping them get closer to their customers, reduce order time to customers, drive out costs across their total costs to serve and improve the overall experience to the end customers. So welcome to the show, Jonathan. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure and an honor. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show to share your thoughts around a topic that everyone wants to get right, but very few have the answers to do it right. So before we jump into all of that, why don't we define customer experience? What does that mean exactly? We, I mean, we hear everybody talk about the customer experience, but what does it mean? Yeah, great question. And from my standpoint, it's about direct to consumer and also, uh, Referring more to what happens from the time the person checks out and then what happens in between or arriving to the doorstep. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things ahead of that it can be payments, can be duty tax calculations, all of that. But today we're strictly going to keep, keep it docked to doorstep. 
And uh, so that's, you know, from the time it takes uh, to having an expected in-hands delivery date, the on-time performance to that, the tracking event updates uh, that keep happening regularly, and, and any advisement or advance notification when delays may occur. Yeah, and I think there's also sometimes a marketing component to that, right? Like the actual experience that the customer gets when they receive their package and and that all comes with, you know, the packaging and the way that it's presented to them. But today we are focusing strictly on the supply chain side, the logistics side, and the challenges that retailers and companies, shippers, supply chain professionals are really facing um, when it comes to the that, you know, last mile. And one of the reasons why you and I got connected for this show is because of a recent article that you wrote. It caught my eye. I thought it was very thought provoking. And it talks about a lot of aspects of this that I think that we need to bring to more people's attention. So what challenges were customers facing and coming to you with that led you to writing that article? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate your reference in the article, and it's obviously a topic I'm passionate about. Uh, it felt like the tail end of 17 and all of 18, and the conversation continues to happen as we start out 19, is brands talking about how they get to a two to, two to three day delivery. And it's really the challenge the customers were facing in the balancing act of the consumer expectations of speed and, and how long it takes to get to them, and also the, the rising cost uh, that they would be forced to, to pay if they invested in faster transits and things of that nature. So um, so there's this race for faster deliveries. You know, the, the days of seven to 10 day free shipping is, is no longer acceptable. So we, we have the brands that are trying to pivot to, to an experience that is targeting a two to two to three day, but that's a huge leap right now. So they're, they're making incremental moves. And, and so they're, they're, you know, conversations like maybe a five day network or a four day network. And, and then all of a sudden, as soon as they do that, they look at the costs associated with the logistics that, that come with that and they get sticker shock and it becomes this barrier. So the questions were, you know, throughout the year. And like I said, continue to happen are, you know, what, what are some ways we can do do this? And our thoughts when, when we were looking at it is they may already be spending this in other areas than the shipping cost because the as soon as we, you know, at five days seems to be this magic mark where, where call centers start to blow up. And when, when shipments take longer than five days, the, the number of interactions from customers goes up exponentially. Then they start needing to do credits and appeasements and um, returns go up, all these different factors. So th- there's this this cost that's happening that the logistics team is not measuring. And so we brought it to their attention to say, maybe we should bring customer service in into conversations with us and understand what what is really happening on the back end. And, and maybe that expense could be shifted from back end to the front end. So that's really what drove the, the writing of the article. Absolutely. And you hit on something pretty key there, you know, is everybody wants the faster shipping. They also want the free shipping. But what's the cost associated to that fast shipping that they're going to have to eat when they're offering the free shipping? Right. Like how 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 high does that cost increase? It goes up double digit percent in, in most of the studies and in most of the supply chains we look at. So um, it becomes in, in, in a medium size and above, it becomes a seven figure issue. Um, and in some cases, an eight figure issue. It's a significant investment that happens. Absolutely. So in your article, you talk about value to speed. And I think that that's a little bit of what we've just touched on. Um, the fact that people have or companies have that sort of five day window and then they have to start, 
you know, um, reacting to the consumer, right? Reacting to their phone calls, reacting by giving credits uh, to appease them so that they'll come back and purchase. So what is the value to speed? Yeah. So simplistically put, value speed is reducing customer service costs, uh, increasing lifetime value of customers through retention, reducing returns, the avoidance of having to give out appeasements. And then also the other side of it that people fail to pay attention to is the brand evangelism that may exist in today's era of social media, where when you do the right things and very positively, they're telling tens of millions of people instantaneously about how good you did. And that can also have an uptick in, in new customers and things of that nature. So that's probably the simplistic way that we call the value of speed. Okay, and you touched on a good point there with returns. Um, I just read an article today about returns being in like the high double digits, I believe. Is that right? Like what are we facing as ret- as far as returns for retailers? Or, or uh, Well, it varies by industry, uh, but when you talk apparel and, and when you even categorize that in, as women's apparel, that can go plus 20% even into the 30s. Um, and then also sometimes we see it with newer brands because the correlation of fitment uh, where you might be a large in one, one brand, but you're a medium in their brand or something like that. We see newer brands, first time buyers that, that increase. So I would say an average when you bake it all in is middle teens. Uh, and it is very, very costly in, in that scenario. Yeah, because we're going to get to cost to ship versus cost to serve in just a minute. But I want to stay on that returns point for just a second, because that is a really, really big cost center um, for companies. And I know that we've talked about the speed and, you know, the customer experience, um, getting the product to them in a certain amount of time, having it look good and the presentation and all that. But the returns is extremely, extremely critical. So what would you say to people about the returns? Maybe not people, but the retailers and the shippers about managing those returns, managing the expectations of that customer and managing the costs on that side. Yeah, it's mind blowing. We, it's an afterthought and it's a huge expense. Um, you know, the impact of the returns experience, but returns may matter more than outbound, believe it or not. There's, there's some articles out there or some studies out there. Plus 90% of people are making first time purchases based on a return policy, as well as, uh, the willingness to buy a second time if they had to interact with the returns process. So, uh, the speed on returns, necessarily, not necessarily the, the speed of the logistics leg, but at least the re- the speed of the refund. Uh, matters a lot because, you know, the younger the person that's buying, maybe the, that, that cash might be double spent and it's preventing them from buying something else that they want more than what they're returning. So there's a lot of pressure on, on retailers to be able to get that money back in the consumer's hands faster and faster. And so we're seeing strategies that maybe they don't want to speed the logistics because the cost, because it is dead cost to the, to the merchant or the brand, but at least doing more of an advanced notification return. So once a pickup scan exists, issuing a return, even though they don't know what's coming back or when they'll get it so that the consumer experience is faster. And then if if they're not doing that, then they need to have a faster transit. And then more importantly, they need to have a faster process of putting it away in in the fulfillment center and be able to receive it, process that credit. So there is there is a lot of pressure right now uh, on that speed. And, and there's definitely a, a lot of third parties have popped up offering, you know, portals where you can tie the inventory, see it, make it more more automated, tied into a self-serve environment and things of that nature, whether that's carrier direct or third parties, there are some ways that you can you can solve that issue. 
Yeah. And turning that product around so that you can resell it and, you know, recoup some of that, that cost and make the money back. And I think there's another sort of sneaking thing in here is that, you know, collaboration again. Now we're talking about supply chain with customer service. A couple of episodes ago, we were talking about supply chain and marketing working together for that customer experience. But this is just another example of how customer, your customer service departments should be working with your supply chain team teams in that customer experience to keep costs down, to keep efficiencies, and to keep those customers. So great, great points. So I know I sort of touched on this before, but why don't you tell us more about the cost to ship versus the cost to serve? What is, what exactly does that mean? What does it do for retailers and shippers? Yeah, and this kind of ties into your point here where there's these these buckets or, or silos that exist in, in organizations. The bigger you get, the more, the more the buckets exist and the silos exist. And so um, what we find is they they really do all overlap, but in in an organization, a lot of times they're very independent. They have different uh, budgets and different impacts, and and so they they don't necessarily realize all the impacts happen. So so we define this in in this conversation. There's there's cost to ship versus cost to serve. Cost to ship is really I think where the distribution folks and the logistics folks are looking, and that's just focusing on uh, the rate card level. So it's the cost of fulfillment. Uh, the cost of shipping it at what is my transactional rate that exists with my providers or carriers. And then, um, and then so beyond that, what we're saying is after it leaves the doorstep, there, there's this cost to serve component. And so what we're doing is applying the cost of fulfillment plus the cost of shipping plus the cost of customer service to maintain and retain a customer. So things that will fall in that bucket are looking at the claims, the reshipments, the customer service interaction, whether that's, you know, phone, chat, email, whatever, each of those has a different cost structure to, to a business, especially if they outsource. Uh, there's the appeasement cost, which is oftentimes even separated out of customer service. So that's, you know, it could look like credits, refunds of shipments, uh, coupons for future things, uh, credits, whatever the case may be. Uh, and then we boil all of that together and, and look at it. That's the total cost to serve is all those components together. Absolutely. So in saying that then, you know, it's always a really good question around investing time and money in this space. So where should companies, where should retailers, shippers, supply chain professionals look at investing their their time at work, at their time with the business, their money with the business? Where should companies invest that time, that money, and why? Yeah, good, great, great question. So to me, it's it's predictable and reliable deliveries. It's faster fulfillment. It's mode optimization, so you know, choosing the right service for the right speed, maybe not overspending in that case. Um, and in a lot of cases, in a lot of products, that's also regionalized fulfillment so they can get closer to the, to the end customer. So uh, I think they should be also looking at uh, the way they measure it differently and, and focusing on click-to-doorstep metrics versus dock-to-doorstep metrics. And, and the reason I say that, that's because that's how the end customer is measuring, right? They, as soon as they click submit or buy or order or whatever that, that checkout button says, their clock is on... Is already clicking and ticking for uh, how soon they should get that order. So, so ultimately, speed to customer expectations is continuing to increase. Uh, so you want to invest in solutions, services, and networks that can meet the consumer expectations. And, and the key thing there is also is be sustainable from a cost standpoint. So that, that's kind of my thoughts uh, of, of that. I don't know if you want to dig into that more, but that's my initial thought on that question. 
Yeah, well, what I want to do is, and what I like to do on the show, is to sort of paint a picture. Um, because we're an audio show, it's really good to be able to give the audience and the listeners something visual, something tangible that they can sort of see and truly understand, maybe by painting a picture and using examples. So can you give us an example of solutions that organizations should look at investing in? Like, what is that going to do for their business and why should they look at that? Well, so really simplistically, and I think a lot of folks have looked at this, but when we talk about parcel, you know, deliveries, especially in the U.S. landscape, you know, a lot of times it gets lumped into almost this two horse race. They might even sneak in a third, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the big two, and then maybe the postal service will, will get lumped in there. Um, and then what's happened over time is everybody's tried to bundle all of these scenarios and try to leverage spend and, and spend every possible penny that exists with one provider because I'll get a greater discount. But there's been some huge technologies that have popped up over over the years, and and you know there could be you know TMSs so big big scale you know highly high cost to them, but it could also be simplistic things, just rate shopping engines and stuff like that. And so I really think folks should start looking and, and should have two to three uh, carriers at a minimum in their in their mix and leverage this technology that takes into account all of these other rules that might exist: the the speed uh, between an origin and destination zip code, uh, the some of the accessorial charges that might exist around uh, dimensionalization about if it's residential or not and all those things and let a system make those decisions in real time and it starts to leverage the strengths of each carrier and each network and and look at you know whether it be weight break driven zip code driven or whatever and then that will allow them to go faster um, without having to overspend it because they can then mode optimize and so there's you know, like I said, countless technologies out there that can be can be simplistic um, to very complex and everything in between there. But that's an area that I think first and foremost, and I think a lot of businesses have gotten there from a from a technology, at least rate shopping, where I think they've fallen short is in in the setting up the second and third carrier because they're worried about a bundle approach that may exist because sometimes they end up overspending versus where they think they're spending money to chase a discount, but they could be using another service option that might be more cost-effective over the, the, the side of it. So I don't know if that painted enough picture for, for the listener group or, or if we need to dig into that more. Yeah, no, I definitely think it did. And it brought up a, a couple of points for me. So one is when you're looking to use just one carrier, um, I like that you said to diversify and have a few different options. Recently here in Canada, we had uh, just before Christmas, we had a Canada post strike and it was devastating um, because people didn't get their holiday parcels before the holidays. So they had Christmas presents that were still out there that weren't delivered for Christmas for them to give to their loved ones. And that's because, you know, in Canada, Canada Post is one of the cheapest options. And a lot of people use Canada Post. And it's, you know, when you put all your eggs in one basket, that's what you run the risk of doing as well. And I just wanted to bring that up because it's a really good example of, you know, making sure that you diversify and you have those different options. Because, you can't predict a postal strike. You can't predict a, a, you know, anything that's going to happen um, in your business that's going to affect the customer experience like that. And that could really, really ruin it. Um, so that's a great point. And then the other one I wanted to say was predictive analytics. I think that's also going to come into play. The data that they're going to be able to get maybe from those companies that they're working with. You know, the predictive analytics, once you can get an idea of the consumer behavior, 
um, the last mile delivery behavior, what you're doing on a month to month basis, gather that data, be able to go through that data and find, you know, um, synergies, find the, the, the patterns that are happening, being able to capitalize on that. And then also that's going to help, you know, drive down the cost, the time and, um, make sure that that's a really good investment for you as well. Yeah, those are all good call-outs. The other thing that probably brings to point outside of a strike, because those are not as frequent, right? They typically lock in multi-year agreements, and hopefully, hopefully, in, in the case of Canada Post, they negotiated more than two years this time. But uh, uh, there's weather events that happen, and all the carrier networks have hubs in different parts of the country. So where one might be snowed in or iced in, they might be you know, another carrier might not be. So you can use, you know, to your point, predictive analytics and do different things, and you can pull different levers in your in your TMS or your rate shop or whatever to turn on and off a carrier for all of those those uh, scenarios that could exist, whether it's a strike, weather, whatever. Yeah, that's a good point as well. So if speed does matter, then what can companies do to increase their delivery times, but stay reliable? So I guess my question here is, you know, what is the key takeaway out of everything that we've spoken about in this interview? Um, what would you like to leave? What would you like the audience, the listeners to leave with? Yeah. Uh, so speed definitely does matter. Um, and in the definition of speed varies definitely, but you know, things that they can, they can do simplistically to, the key thing is still maintain reliability. And, and also I think the, the cost control around that to where it's, it's sustainable for the long run. Uh, one is just looking at their own four walls of their fulfillment side. You know, can they speed up their order processing within their own fulfillment centers that they might be able to, let's say today they're averaging two days to get out the door. If they can improve that by 24 hours, there's a transit day given back that, that it has no, bearing or no investment on getting a different different speed out of a carrier network just by getting it out the four walls faster. So that's one. The other side is regionalization of fulfillment, which can get, and, and maybe that's not all products, but maybe that's at least fast moving SKUs and putting them in key key areas of the country based on where your demographics say that you should be. And, and that allows you to be faster and mode optimized. So you could do maybe even a slower level of service, but still be faster and more reliable because it's it's going through a local scenario versus a national hub, hub and spoke environment. That also is, you know covers up a lot of things when there's weather across the country. It also helps in peak capacity. It gives you more throughput. So there's some other other good wins there. Uh, it's just mode optimization and the rate shop things that we talked about. And and then also you know the, the having multiple shipping carriers and methods uh, at their fingertips to be able to flex and adjust. And and also um, you know I like what you said about predictive analytics because you think about during peak seasons and, and stuff like that where you're trying to hit this in hands delivery date. You could start seeing certain networks do different things in different parts of the country based on volume, weather, or whatever. And so, if you're getting a, a you know close to real time interaction there, you could also be shifting to different service levels or different carrier networks as well. Uh, so, I think those are some of the things that that I would say are, are good takeaways. Absolutely. And one of the keys there that I like is maximizing your footprint. You know, across the country or across, you know, the, where, where you have your goods. I mean, if we're talking about the U S maximize that footprint, take a look at that data and really check to see where you need to have your goods. That is going to make a huge difference. So rather than having, you know, a huge amount of inventory in one place, 
consider sprinkling out or spreading it out um, across states so that you can, um, you know, better service that customer. And like you said, in really bad weather, it's going to put you ahead of the competition. So just something else that people are taking a look at, companies are taking a look at, and something to definitely think about in your supply chain strategy. So lastly, I want to ask you, Jonathan, what do you think the future looks like for delivery and customer experience? Wow, that is definitely a loaded question. And I preface it to say, the final mile space is changing by the hour. It seems like maybe even the minute we can't keep up with the changes fast enough. And um, some things that we read across, you know, whether it be LinkedIn or just news outlets or whatever, some of them are fun to read about, but, and really cool, but probably not realistic. And they're just kind of left at, at articles. Uh, but there's definitely some of those things that will take traction. Uh, we'll continue to see more driver technology, driverless technology played with. To what extreme? I don't know. I don't know that that's necessarily making final file model delivery. Maybe that's long haul. That could also just be in in the hub and shifting of uh, trailers and stuff, little things like that. So they can free up uh, people there. So we're seeing a lot of, a lot of folks playing around with that. Uh, the app-based technology for, you know, that final mile delivery, you know, driven by the rideshare guys, that's continuing to, to expand and blow up and, and really, really helping out, uh, you know, the surge capacity that, that needs to exist. I, I think we'll also see uh, click and collect, uh, you know, so maybe not as much final mile delivery, but partnerships to where people are nearby and can route packages and pick up from there. Uh, we will definitely see more same day delivery, at least in the vertical markets. I don't know if that's a national scenario, but you know, the, the, maybe it's called the top 20 markets where there's high density of population. And it's, it's also hard to deliver in more of the vertical, uh, type of locations. There's going to continue to be changes in flexibility, things being tested out with the omni-channel or what's now being called unified commerce approaches. Uh, so we'll continue to see more of that. You know, today we're seeing the, the buy online, ship to store, uh, or, you know, so boss or BOPIS where you, uh, or, you know, similar type scenarios there, uh, shipping from store. Uh, we'll continue to see more and more brick and mortar folks spread that out across there. And, um, I think ultimately, the what has been kind of this two to three day expectation that will continue to to get small smaller in a road and we'll see more of a you know is it next day is it same day I don't know what that time frame looks like but I, you know I'd say as we cross getting closer to 2020 and, and definitely by 2025 we're going to see that window of time you know reduced from days to hours probably and and it's a lot of that technology that we just talked about is going to open that door to make that more cost effective and then all, and the second side of it is the consumers expectations uh, are just becoming really hard to manage right now. Okay, but there's one key thing that you did not mention. Okay, and uh -oh. you know, as as DHL e-commerce thought leader, Jonathan, you did not mention drones. Where are we going with this? So we do things with them, and that's one of those things that I think they sound really awesome in the news outlets, and they have a very, very small use case. And so as an organization, we are operating them, and we've seen them for extremely remote, remote, unsafe, and unreliable locations due to weather or whatever. Um, the, the reality is, if, if you look at it, the amount of drones that would fill the sky, I mean, there's millions upon millions of, you know, 50 million packages, let's call it, being delivered across the U.S. on, an, on any given day when you merge you up all imagine? the networks. Can you imagine <laughs> what the skies will look like? That, that's where I say it becomes a little bit unrealistic. But there's some good use cases, though, of, uh, you know, I've seen some of my competitors have it, have it part of the delivery vehicle in rural areas where they might have a 
uh, a mile or two long driveway. And instead of driving a vehicle out there, they fly a, a, a drone from the truck and go on to the next stop and the drone flies back and meets the driver later. I think that's one of the better use cases of it. But I, I think as a day-to-day, um, you know, tens of millions of packages being dispatched, I think there, there's challenges of the skies. I think there's challenges of the, the capacity. Typically, they can only support five pounds and smaller. Um, I think there's just, you have to worry about uh, folks that may be put off by them and do they sabotage and and do things to those and steal those or break those and so i think there's a lot of things that there's been a lot of talk probably going back two years ago from some of the big uh, retailers in the u.s but I, I think that was more of a you know catch the buzz and and, and talk about it but I, i'd be shocked if that becomes mainstream like we've like we've seen well, it sounds like you guys are definitely thinking about it and uh, you've looked at it from all angles. So I like to hear that. And, you know, everybody asks about drones and are we going to see them in the skies and delivering packages to our front door? Well, in the world of increased consumer expectation and demands, the key takeaway here is that speed does matter. And so does investment in the customer experience. And will it? And it will be a fine line to walk for all businesses to increase speed and keep reliability. I hope that Jonathan and I gave you some ideas to take back to your organization. And if you would like more information about Jonathan or on this episode, please go to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 55. I will also have the link to his article so you can go ahead and read that there as well. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure and and hopefully uh, it resonated with your listener base. If you liked this episode, be sure to check out Shippo in season one or simply deliver in season two about last mile delivery. Next week, our resident expert is back. Graham from Border Buddy is here to talk all about innovation and how if we are you know, focusing on in internal innovation and the parties around us aren't moving as fast as we are. What does that mean to your business? What do we need to do to make sure that all the stakeholders involved are moving at somewhat of a similar pace? And if they're not, what do you do if they're, if they're not doing that? So. Tune in for that one, and that one is coming out next week. Thank you for tuning in each week. And if you want to support the show, there's a few ways to do that. One is to rate and review the show on iTunes and Stitcher so other people can find us and I can feature you on an upcoming episode. I also have a supply chain dictionary. Go to letstalksupplychain.com. It is 107 pages full of acronyms and definitions that you're going to need to succeed in supply chain. Engage with us. Send me your supply chain questions. Engage with the conversations that we're having every Wednesday on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And finally, go to ships, S-H-I-P-Z.com and fill in your information and be the first ones to know about what we are working on because we are in development and you're not going to want to miss out on that one. So I hope that you all have an amazing day and remember everybody, ship happens. Ship happens.